This episode of Stock Doc is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decision. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Nigel Finch. Today on the program, I'm speaking with Todd Alder. He's Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer at Orbital UAV, who are listed under the ticker code OEC. Orbital, it's a great Australian success story. Uh, It's a world leader in the design and manufacturer of engine systems for use in military drones. Todd, thanks for joining us again on the program. How are things over in Perth? First of all, it's a pleasure to be with you, uh, Nigel, uh, and things are going well here in Perth. Now, before we start, I should point out that I'm an investor in Orbital, um, and that's not to say that this is an endorsement or anything, but I just want to get the record straight. Todd, we last spoke in April and May last year when your share price was around 40 and 60 cents. So that's almost 12 months ago, and there's been... A lot to catch up on, but firstly, can you give listeners a really quick snapshot of the size and scale of Orbital, perhaps the headcount, the number of key customers, countries you export to, the share price in the market cap today? Uh, thank you, Nigel. Yeah, look, the company um, is trading at about a dollar five at the moment, so that gives us about an $80 million market cap. Uh, our customers have increased from uh, Boeing in situ to Boeing in situ, uh, Singapore Government Research and Defence Organisation plus Northrop Grumman uh, and, uh, and another announcement that we made earlier in the week with Textron, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, countries we export to are predominantly to the US, so to billion-dollar US uh, defence companies. Uh, the size uh, of our organisation now is we've got uh, around about 120 people, so 20 in the US and around 100 here in uh, in Australia, uh, and with some um, additional engine production lines coming on stream soon, we'll be looking to do some further recruitment. And Todd, I also want to hear the quick elevator pitch for Orbital. Can you oblige with that? Nigel, thank you. We make um, the uh, industry-leading uh, heavy fuel engine for the tactical drone market. So simply, we make a better engine than anyone else for defence drones. And can you walk us through your client base? Because I think that really speaks to the pedigree of your company and it helps listeners understand how you're positioned. So who are who are some of these clients? You mentioned Boeing earlier. Yeah, of course. So when we talk about Boeing, it's uh, Boeing in situ. We we say in situ is the subsidiary that do all the unmanned vehicles for uh, for Boeing in this tactical drone space. Uh, Boeing, of course, are I think the second largest defence company in the world. Uh, we have Northrop Grumman, um, another uh, multi-billion-dollar uh, US defence company, um, and uh, of course the uh, Singapore uh, Research and Defence Company that uh, we're working with on a heavy fuel engine. So uh, we're very pleased to have these uh, calibre of uh, customers uh, working with us on design and/or receiving product that we manufacture. So. 
What precisely is it that you do for these clients? Uh, um, are the propulsion systems your designs or are they joint ventures? How, how, does it, how does it work, the collaboration? Well, obviously, first of all, a propulsion system or an engine for a tactical drone. We go back to what a tactical drone is. A tactical drone is used in the Defence Forces for uh, intelligence, situational awareness, in, um, uh, reconnaissance activities. Um, it's um, flown uh, for about 8 to 12 to 24 hours, uh, and it needs a highly reliable engine uh, to send it out and bring it back uh, securely. These uh, vehicles are worth anywhere between 2 to $6 million now with what they carry. Um, so engine failures, are, as you could imagine, are not tolerated. So can you tell me a bit about the competition intensity in this sector and, and really how Orbital goes about competing? Well, the sector's evolving and continues to evolve rapidly. So these, these vehicles used to be worth, you know, 250000 as I said before, you know, 2 to $6 million now. Um, so the um, requirement for this uh, reliable propulsion system or reliable engine uh, has been increasing dramatically. So uh, we are very fortunate that we have some technology that enables us to uh, burn, if you like, heavy fuel. So these engines need to run on heavy fuel or the one fuel policy that the military uh, requires. Mm-hmm. So this is a kerosene-based fuel. Uh, So these engines need to run on that kerosene-based fuel and they need to run on it reliably. Now, we fortunately have some technology that enable us to do that and build an engine that is 10 times uh, more reliable or it can run for 10 times longer before you need to overhaul it. It can start immediately, so cold start. You don't have to warm it up for 20 minutes beforehand. And it also passes sort of the manned aviation standards for reliability, the only engine to do so. So uh, we really do have quite a differentiated uh, product and um, just some quite some advantages. And that's why you have a Perth-based business uh, selling and growing uh, its uh, customer base and that customer base being you know, quite uh, prestigious uh, US multi-billion dollar defence companies. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned a minute ago that you know, tactical unmanned aerial vehicles, they're used for reconnaissance, they're used for intelligence gathering. And, and um, so just, just help us understand what, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's many different types of drones on the market we hear, um, you know, small ones that combatants in the field can, can, um, uh, can launch um, from the ground through to ones that can be, you know, the, the, the launch from vessels and, and all this sort of stuff. H- help us understand the types of aerial vehicles that you guys specialise in. In the, in the tactical drone space, we can sort of talk about, we can talk through sort of group one through to perhaps group three. You know, so group one, you're exactly right, the battery-powered, uh, more handheld uh, drones. It's not our market. Uh, then we get into Group 2, which is very much our market, so where they carry around a 20-kilogram payload. So that's 20 kilograms of um, surveillance equipment, um, maybe daytime, nighttime cameras might be uh, LIDAR, so laser terrain mapping um, equipment, etc. Uh, and then you have uh, Group 3 that uh, is an interesting market, not something that we are working on at the moment, but something that we're interested at looking at. And Group 3 is a, um, a tactical drone that carries not 20, but carries up to 50 or 60 kilograms. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Now, what are some of the 
ethical decisions that you and your board are challenged with, given the the orientation of your company? We definitely made um, uh, a strategic decision to focus in the defence sector. Um, so let's be clear, the advantage that we have is because the defence sector requires these engines to run on heavy fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when we made that decision, it was clear that we would be a defence investment or a defence company. Um, and I think it's up for uh, the investors or the market to decide whether they want to invest in a defence uh, company uh, or not. Our board is clear on its direction. Um, it uh, supports both the US and supports Australian government sovereign capabilities uh, in the defence sector. Well, your your share registry is very interesting. There's there's several large institutions in there: Colonial First State, Mitsubishi, and the like. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the? the capital structure and ownership of Orbital. So we enjoy strong support by uh, our 30% cornerstone shareholder UIL. Uh, they came in some five or six years ago and continue to support the uh, the growth of the company. Uh, we also have uh, Colonial First State, or as they're known now, First Sentient, uh, who continue to support us and uh, gather additional uh, stock as and when. Um, after that, we have the board and management that own around 2%. Uh, all of that has been bought on market, none of it gifted. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the remainder is um, really some um, small cap funds plus uh, retail uh, retail shareholders. You may see that register evolve as we take our next steps uh, of growth over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly one of the things I've noticed is that there's plenty of free float in the stock as well. Um, Todd, you are engaged by these you know, these blue chip um, defence prime contractors under long-term agreements. So that must give you some degree of certainty with respect to the activities that Orbital will be undertaking. I noticed that you also provide regular earnings guidance, which is extremely useful for investors who are tracking the stock. Um, Can you just give us a little bit of uh, sort of your thoughts on um, you know, the uh, the visibility that you have um, under your long-term agreements uh, that gives you, um, you know, the confidence to make um, and update earnings announcements along the way. So thank you, Nigel. Uh, first of all, we think it was, uh, we, we took a decision that it was important as we evolved from what we were was an engineering company into a, an aerospace manufacturer supported by long-term agreements with these tier one customers that um, that we provide that visibility you're talking to to our investor base so they can make decisions or more clear decisions. Um, the long-term agreements, why do we have them? It benefits both sides. Um, uh, components and engines often have a reasonably long lead time, so we may need to make commitments uh, for production, um, Some, in some cases six months before shipment. Um, so um, these long-term agreements support us, but also support uh, support the customer. The customer makes a big decision when it goes and chooses Orbital as a supplier for its propulsion systems. So it kind of wants to have that surety of supply from Orbital. So we're very pleased to have the long-term agreement with Boeing and Sitchi, which we may or may not get into the detail of. Um, but it provides us with anywhere from six to 12 months certainty on purchase orders for uh, engine volumes. Now, I want to ask you what might seem to be a dumb question, but uh, given the last time I studied chemistry was uh, 
in uh, who was it, Mr. Booth's class, I think, at, uh, at at high school in 1986. Can you explain to me what heavy fuel is and what the US DOD's one fuel policy is, and how this really, you know, creates an advantage for Orbital to to deliver to its customers. So, so heavy fuel is uh, a, a group name really for a number of jet fuels, uh, JP8, JP5, uh, Jet A or Jet A1. Uh, they, they all are kerosene-based fuels uh, rather than gasoline-based fuels. Uh, they run, as, as you would imagine, in, uh, in, in, in jet turbines, but also uh, you can throw them into a diesel engine and you'll run. They're favoured by um, the uh, defence sector for two reasons. One, safety and, and logistics. So all the equipment runs on this heavy fuel. Uh, so they don't, for logistical reasons, don't want to introduce uh, another type of fuel. Um, and then, of course, for safety reasons, uh, heavy fuel is not as volatile as uh, gasoline. Um, another uh, interesting sort of anecdote is uh, if you um, needed to get some equipment out quickly to a particular site, uh, you can siphon some fuel out of your helicopter or siphon some fuel out of your Humvee and have that fuel uh, ready for your tactical drone rather than having to take up precious cargo space and carry gallons of highly volatile gasoline. So that's, um, and, and, and particularly if you went across into the Navy, the Navy's not having highly volatile gasoline on its, uh, on its decks or on the Navy vessel, so it needs to run on heavy fuel. So heavy fuel being a gasoline, uh, sorry, being a kerosene-based fuel, and the trick is to try to run a lightweight engine, and, and a lightweight engine is a two-stroke engine. And, of course, as we know, back in the day, two-stroke engines, you had to mix your fuel and oil because you wanted to use that uh, fuel, if you like, or fuel and oil mix to, one, uh, lubricate your reciprocating components, uh, plus use that uh, fuel for your combustion. So you mix oil and fuel. Fine when you're mixing gasoline and oil, uh, still fairly dirty, but when you combine kerosene heavy fuel and then you mix oil in it and use that for your combustion, that's the troubles or the challenges that our competitors have. We're very fortunate that we've got some technology that separates that out and enables us to uh, burn that heavy fuel a lot more cleanly and a lot more efficiently. Thanks for that. Now, Todd, you've just announced a new agreement with Lycoming. Can you tell us a little about uh, who they are and what's the nature of the collaboration? So uh, Lycoming is a subsidiary of Textron, and uh, Textron is another multi-billion dollar US defence company. Textron Systems in particular is a world leader of uh, unmanned air systems. So in particular, Textron Systems is probably one of the leading suppliers to the US defence sector. So that's why the announcement on Monday was so exciting for us. Uh, they, they sort of uh, are the equivalent of a Boeing in situ. They are a significant player in this sector. Um, so what, what, what did we announce? Uh, we announced a 12-month engine development contract that then automatically switches over to a long-term supply agreement. That long-term supply agreement is for engines, so our designed engine, to fit onto their vehicle. Um, and it is for a minimum of five years, and Textron have five by one-year extensions on top of that. So we have an up to 10-year long-term engine supply agreement with one of the largest unmanned air vehicle suppliers into the U.S. defence sector. 
And uh, I imagine that would have been a, a relatively easy deal to clinch. What, just uh, they rang you out of the yellow pages? How, talk, us, talk us through uh, what would have been involved in, um, um, you know, coordinating a deal of, of that magnitude with a company that big. Yeah, it was, we wish it was uh, we were on the yellow pages and they gave us a call. Um, it was a 12 to 18 month uh, negotiation. Um, we uh, already sell uh, our uh, IP protected or patent protected components to uh, Textron or in particular Lycoming because mm-hmm. eight or so years ago we designed an engine. Uh, this is before our transition into an aerospace manufacturer when we were that just engineering company. We designed an engine for Textron Lycoming and we still sell our patent protected uh, components to enable that engine that they build or that Lycoming builds um, to enable it to use that in one of their vehicles. The engine that we've won a contract for is for a different vehicle. Um, but because of Lycoming, so you have Textron and Lycoming, Lycoming is an engine uh, builder of um, some decades in the US uh, aviation sector. It uh, builds and maintains engines for Bell helicopters, Cessna, etc. But it can't design and manufacture an engine for UAVs uh, to our standard or our reliability or our performance. So in that regard, um, we were not wanting to um, just design uh, an engine for Lycomi. We wanted to design and manufacture an engine. So that's where the slight nuance was, where Lycomi was saying, we're happy to build another one of your designs. And we're saying, look, we've moved up the value chain somewhat since the last time we've talked, and we'd actually love to do business with you, but actually we'll build and uh, supply you a complete engine rather than just um, a clever fuel component. So very happy to get that negotiation across the line, but, yeah, it took 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Can you walk listeners through the systems that you have in the field now and also what's in the production pipeline over the coming years? So we have two engines of the five-engine long-term agreement. So we've got two engine production lines operational. We've got our third engine production line uh, set to uh, uh, ramp up from uh, June of this year. Um, Then we have um, an announcement, or what we're targeting is an announcement of the fourth of the five, the four of the five, the fourth, sorry, engine in the Boeing in situ contract to start the development program on that. Then we'll have uh, the Textron uh, engine production line operational about this time next year. Uh, We hope over financial year 22 to progress both the Singapore and Northrop Grumman, more likely the Singapore um, production line. Um, And then, uh, as I suggested, we'll be looking at uh, opportunities in that Group 3. So all of these engines are for Group 2 tactical drones and we'll start during financial year 22 to start looking at where we might have some opportunities in the um, uh, market segment of uh, Group 3 tactical drones, the larger vehicles. So what trends are you guys seeing in defence spending and how is this spending being allocated to UAVs over time? Uh, so we see uh, both in the US and in Australia defence budgets increasing. Uh, in particular, we see these defence budgets being focused around uh, cyber, being focused around unmanned, uh, unmanned, etc., um, in the uh, US, uh, we've got a, uh, a tactical drone spend of around $15.7 billion estimated over the next 10 years. 
Um, and um, we believe that we're very well positioned to um, uh, capture that uh, that exciting market. So, Todd, you've been involved with transitioning from an engineering company to an aerospace company. So what's, and you've mentioned the the idea of moving into Group 3 tactical, tactical drones. What's your vision for the company over the next few years? Well, I think we'll continue the focus on customer and product diversification. That's key. Uh, I think we uh, will pick up a ever-increasing market share in Group 2 tactical drone propulsion systems. I think we'll look at uh, our supply chain and is there any opportunities for um, uh, securing uh, the the critical suppliers that we have in that supply chain. Uh, and then, of course, uh, as I said, we'll start to look at uh, Group 3 opportunities um, uh, next financial year. And finally, can you tell us a little about what investors can expect to see in the coming months? Well, I think uh, over the uh, last 18 months, we've demonstrated um, how we've moved this company forward. So we said that we would uh, look at more product and customer diversification. So 18 months ago, we had Boeing in situ and we really had one engine on one platform. Uh, we look at where we are now 18 months later and we've got um, uh, Boeing in situ, we've got Textron Lacoming, we've got Singapore Defence Company, we've got Northrop Grumman. We'll add to that. Um, and as I said, we're very much focused in on Group 2. We'll start looking at Group 3 opportunities and we'll start to look at where our skill sets may apply themselves and increase content uh, in this tactical drone space. Well, I wish you all the very best with this and I'd love to catch up with you again and um, just uh, check in and see how things are going with these pretty exciting contracts that are unfolding. Nigel, I really look forward to that. Well, thank you to my guest, Todd Older, Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer at Orbital UAV for joining us for this edition of Stock Doc. And you can stay in touch with us through our Stockhead website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our daily newsletters for ASX market coverage, company profiles and industry insights.